the Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I was praying to God and asking Him for, what was the word for us? What was the word for me for this year? And that's what I got. That actually, we're going to learn how to actually worship God. We're going to enter His courts with thanksgiving and gladness and learn to praise Him. Not because everything is going right, but learn to praise Him in the midst of challenges, in the midst of hard times, in the midst of all the challenges that come in life. Um, because challenges aren't going anywhere. They are going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But the good news is that God is going to strengthen you and strengthen you and strengthen you. And the stronger you become, the more you can endure the challenges that are coming because of you. And then you begin to look away from yourself and start carrying other people's burdens. And because of that, we, we become stronger together and become the church that we call to be. Because... The other word I had today was like it's the first Sunday of the year. We're supposed to give vision of the vision for the church. And I've realized um, that's probably one of my greatest weaknesses is communicating what's in my head. I always had a problem at school with that. It's like, especially in like in maths, I, I was reasonably good at maths um, so they would give me like a problem and you know you have to always show all your working just in case you made a mistake so that they could give you marks for all of your working. I would just give the answer. And they would say, no, you've got to show your working. I'm like, why? It's like, no, in case you make a mistake, we can give you marks. I'm like, yeah, but I gave you the right answer. It's like, no, but we give you marks for the working. I'm like, no, you give marks to the people that can't get the right answer for working. <laughs> if I can give you the answer, that's the point. It's like, uh, anyway. It's true. But like, there's something of real life doesn't always work that way. And Christianity doesn't work that way. There's no simple little answer. There's no, give me the, the right formula and then it'll work. I can give you a formula and I can give you a formula for your life on how you're supposed to live and how we are going to look. And especially for Trinity Central, it's like if it was just my church, I could give you a plan. I could show that this is what it's going to look like. This is how we're going to go. This is where we're going to go. But then it would be my plan and not God's plan. And it wouldn't be our church. Because where I, I see us as a church is, on, on a preach from Joshua 3, it's like we're standing on the banks of the Jordan. And God's saying there's an opportunity for us to cross over into this promised land. And the challenge is to you. The challenge is to each person that it's like actually for us to cross over is you need to cross over. For us to be the church that we need to be, you need to cross over. And so it's a part, an invitation to this promised land. But the challenge is that you have to go and fight the giants in the promised land. The challenge is you have to leave behind Egypt. 
to go into the promised land. You have to cross a, a flooding water, like a flooding river to get into the promised land. There's challenges and there's obstacles to overcome. But that's what God's inviting us to. So I'm going to read Joshua 3, the whole thing, if you want to join me there. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I'm actually going to leave it there. The whole point was that they were just about across. But they had to keep their eyes on the ark. And then the, the strange thing is, it's like, okay, but you can't come close to it. It's like, actually, it's, it's 200 cubits. It's about a, almost like a kilometer. It's about 900 meters that they had to stay behind the, the ark. And you can look at it and say, it's like one of the reasons they, they hypothesize of why is because you're not allowed to touch the ark and you're not allowed to get too close to it because it's holy. But that partly doesn't make sense because at other times they walk a lot closer to it and the, the priests were allowed to walk closely with it. There's a reason why I, I believe... and. Other commentators have said why they had to stay far back was because this was a massive group of people. If you were walking right behind it, how many people can actually see it? If we're standing here worshipping, the front row reads the words. The people in the second and the third row, they kind of just like mouth along and hum and hopefully they know the words because people get in the way. But when it's far away, it allows for everybody to actually witness the ark going in. And as the priests step into the flooding like Jordan River, which at this time of year was like flooding its banks, the priests step in and the water backs up and everybody is able to witness the miracle of what God does, of how they get into the promised land. And then they cross on dry ground. And it talks about dry ground and it's like the priests were standing on dry ground and everybody walked across on dry ground. What does that remind you of? It's, it's when... He rescues them out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and it says they crossed on dry ground. And it's like it's a picture of when we're crossing stormy like seas or water. It's like the water is this dangerous place. The water is an obstacle. It's a barrier. But God is able to take what should be a barrier to actually separate it and make it that it can be dry ground for us to cross over. So that's what he's doing here. So he's recreating almost the picture of the people of God that are freed from Egypt. And he's wanting to rescue them and take them across and into the promised land. And then part of it is they need to realize that, like we've seen previously, that the Egypt that God rescued them out of, he has to try and rescue the Egypt that's inside of their hearts. Because there's so much of their, like, when they, when they face challenges and they face trials, they're like, ah, we want to go back to where we had onions. It's like, yeah, but you were slaves. Yeah, but we had onions. <laughs> it's like, cool. <laughs> you were slaves. They're like, yeah, but at least there was onions. It's like it was predictable. We knew what to do. We really didn't like the consequences of where we were at. We didn't like this. 
but let's implement that old strategy. And I've been trying to think about this and I had some strange analogies, but one of them was, I don't know if you guys have heard that David Foster Wallace like talk and he, 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 he describes the one story where this old fish is swimming along and he encounters these two young fish and he's like, hey boys, how's the water? And they swim past and they're like, what is that old oak talking about? Like, what, what the hell is water? Because they were, they were fish. They were so used to being in water, they didn't realize that water was all around them. And the same thing is true, unfortunately, for us. It's because the culture and the world that we live in influences us, whether we see it or not. Your upbringing, your church experience, your, your past experience with church, the style of church you've been a part of, the life you've lived has shaped your perspective on what church should be. And I want to throw out, maybe you like the Egyptians or the Israelites that have been rescued out of Egypt and you want to go back to some onions. That's it's like our vision for the church, our vi like my vision for the church, the picture of what Trinity Central will be. I'm, I'm not, I can't give you the detailed like plan as much as it might be easier because I'm wary of putting my perspective of onions on Trinity Central. It's like, if, we, if we're going to design what this church is going to look like, and I, I believe this year is going to be a, a big change in what it's going to look like. It's, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to stay in the house for, for very long. Um, you might love the house you might think that ah, but it's so nice having church in a house it's so different and I'm like yeah but it might change and I think God's asking us to change and where we go hey it might be further for you it might be closer it might be more challenging it might be far more convenient but I want to challenge you can we experience it and enjoy it and like fight for this transition together and believe that God has actually got us on a way of taking us into a new promised land. Wherever we go, maybe we're there temporarily for a little season and then he moves us on again and again and again. I don't know. What I do know is certain like um, non-negotiables of church and those are not going to change and we're not going to try and reinvent church completely but we're going to trust that God's going to show us what it looks like for us. Because church is a product of the gifts and the, the people that make up that church. And the gifts that get to operate and the gifts that choose to operate in that church will define what it's going to look like. So, man, I would love for us to have a rocking band and live worship. But we don't have that yet. But if you are musicians, I hope you're practicing. I hope you're learning to like, express that. And when the time is right, we will, we will have that, hopefully. When we have, I don't know, a need for, I don't know, whether it looks like life groups or cell groups or small groups or whatever it looks like, we can have that. Whether it's kids ministry or, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if those are non-negotiables. I think we're coming with preconceived ideas of what it looks like. And this doesn't just go for church. It's like any form of transition 
When you step out of an old thing to try and do a new culture, your tendency is to implement the systems you've known before. If you were starting a new business, you're going to probably implement like the same structures that you had in the past. The problem is, often we're leaving a place because God wants to do something different, or we've grown like dissatisfied with the, the fruit of the past. And I would say, like, partly in church, we've borrowed from business for the last 40, 50 years. And we've learned some really good things. And I think we've learned some very unhelpful things. And we've tried to turn church into whatever is the most effective. That's the way we do it. And I don't know if that's the healthiest way to build church. So in business, your, your goal is you try and scale it as quickly as what you can. Find the technology that you can to use it to scale the gifts that you've got. So part of the way we've done that in church is it's like, man, let's have a cookie cutter like um, conveyor belt. You come in, learn these 10 things, then learn these five things, and then implement them in this way, and you will become the next leader, and then you know what to do, and this is the way that we work. But the problem is that it only works for people that that works for. The, the way that Jesus worked was he was, had an individualistic plan for each one of his disciples. He knew exactly what they needed, and he put them in a situation that would work for them. And because discipleship, from a biblical perspective, I think works through relationship and it works through individuals. Can it work like this? Yes, this is a part of it. Part of it is going to be training. Part of it is going to be in group context. But a lot of it functions through one-on-one -on -one relationship and small groups of relationship and men getting together and guys cycling together and guys gymming together and doing life together and having meals together. I think that's partly what it's going to look like. Yeah. And another fish analogy. Because <laughs> we're supposed to be fishers of men. So, um, uh, I saw this. They talk about the, the glass wall experiment. And it's like, the, yeah. I saw one analogy of it. It's like, oh, there's a shark. And they're in this tank. And then they, they put this giant perspex wall between the shark and it's bait. So every time it tries to go and eat, it bangs its nose against the glass until it learns that it can't get to the bait. And then they remove the glass wall or the fiberglass wall. And the shark has learned that that might look good, but I can never get it. And so even if the shark swimmer, like, swims with the bait and it swims right next to it, the shark has learned that that's not for me. It's unattainable. Because it's banged its head against it so many times. I think that story has been largely elaborated on. <laughs> and I don't know how true it is. Because I, I found another story where it's like it's actually talking about a pike and it's this. And so it's, it's like the story's grown legs. But the illustration works. Because I think that's what we've done with church. We read the Bible and we read Acts 2. And the church was this amazing community that gathered together and loved each other and supported each other and used their resources and they, they phoned each other, they cared for each other, they were in each other's homes and it's like that's what church should be. But I've been in church and it's not like that. And I've banged my head against the glass one too many times. So you know what? I don't believe it's there anymore. So 
I'm going to limit my exposure and expectation of what church will be. And church will be my Sunday tick box where I'll go on a Sunday and that's what I'll invest. Because anything more than that is risky. Because anything more than that requires too much of my life. Because I'm not willing to invest everything. I'm not willing to actually trust that church can be what it's supposed to be. Because I've been too disappointed in the past. Because church is made up of people. And people are broken and people are the problem with the world. So I'm going to maybe trust God and I'll kind of give him a chance. But I won't really invest. And I won't really open up my life to it. I know that might seem harsh. Especially on a day where I'm supposed to say like, hey, the joy of the Lord. <laughs> it's like, but that's what I've been wrestling with. Because I want everyone to be raised up and released to the fullness of what God has for them. But for me to do that is I need to know that you are connected to somebody who really knows you. And I have to challenge you that it has to open up your entire life. I was preparing a thing. It's like we, we go through the spiritual disciplines. And I want to say like every discipline is a spiritual discipline actually. Because when you're sitting with somebody, like being a, a pastor for my long experience, I find that people like to come to you with the safe problems that they've got. It's like I'll come and discuss Maybe this spiritual question that I had when reading the Bible, because that was the day that I read the Bible, and I kind of came up, but, but I'm not going to come and open up about my finances, and I'm going to say like, hey, I've got this extra money, what do you think I should do with it? It's like, maybe you'll come to us when, like the, when you really hit the wall and you don't know what to do. But I don't know if you're willing to actually go to people and say like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. You know what? I'm struggling with my diet and I can't get it under control. You know what? I don't know. I'm struggling with relationships here and I don't know how to implement it like better. How do I deal with my marriage? How do I take my marriage and like take it to the next level? It's, we, we, we maybe come when the problems really hit. But until then, we'll just go with our own plans. And maybe if we really want to seem like Im impressive, we'll ask for some advice. You know what, if that person doesn't give me the advice that I want, I'll go to somebody else and I'll ask for some more advice. Because you know what, there's wisdom in multiple counselors. And that person didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, so I'm going to have one more. And that person gave me the exact answer that I was thinking, so it must be God. But, man. So how do we do this? Um, There is a vision for church. I have a vision for this church. But it doesn't have to be completely dictated by my vision. Because the door is open for each and every person to fulfill their God-given potential of what they're supposed to do in a local church here. I was listening to Spurgeon talking about like transformation and discipleship. And it's the first pastor or preacher I've heard where he's like speaking to his congregation and saying, you know what? Sometimes I don't know if I want to see you on a Sunday. Because God may have something else for you to do this Sunday. 
It's like if you, if you see somebody along the side of the road and God says stop and help them for that day. Do that. Be Christ in your community and what he's called you to. But at the same time, I, I don't want you to be half-heartedly committed to a church. Because that's not good for you. Not because I want you to be here, but because you have to be somewhere where people actually know you, where you can genuinely invest and you believe in what's being done and what the future holds for them and for that people and to invest your life there. Are you going to be disappointed? Absolutely. I can guarantee it. Because it's made up of people. Um, But there's no other way of getting around it. Because the church is the hope of the world. I, I, I like having conversations with people and I tell him, Warren, it's probably the thing that gets me the most excited and the most terrified in my life is speaking to random strangers at a coffee shop or at a bar or, I don't know, discam. I've had a couple of conversations. Um, but I ask them, like, what, what do you think of church? And generally the answer is really bad. And then what do you think's wrong with the world? And no, people are what's wrong with the world. There's a, there's a narrative going around the world that people are the problem. And I want to say that's completely contrary to what the Bible says. Because people are the image of God. We are the answer to the world's problems. Because God uses us and He works through people. And when we get together, that becomes the church. Because that's where we learn to grow and care for each other. And we become who we are called to be. I'm going to read this quickly. The universal church. This is just a description of the non-negotiables of church. This is a vision of what church should be and can be. The church is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ, whom the Holy Spirit has incorporated into one holy, universal, apostolic, spiritual body of Christ. It's Ephesians 4 and Colossians 1. When they are regenerated, it manifests itself in complete local bodies characterized by mutual unity and diversity. The church was the mystery looked forward to in the Old Testament, prophesied by Jesus and begun at Pentecost by the Holy Spirit. It is the community of the King, a witness to his kingdom. While there is one people of God throughout time, the seed of Abraham, who has who have all been saved by grace through faith in the promises of God based on the atoning death of Christ. The church is distinguished from Israel in such matters as stewardship of God's redemptive purpose, government, worship, membership requirements. Fortunately, um, the purpose of the church enabled by the gifting of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God through worship, the proclamation of the gospel for the purpose of making disciples and the building up of the body of Christ. Now, most, most of that probably went over your head which is okay because I read it quickly. But the purpose of the church, enabled by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, is to glorify God through worship, the proclamation of the gospel for the purpose of making disciples and the building up of the body of Christ. Those are the non-negotiables of church. And there's probably more. But we are a body. We are a temple. We are called to glorify God through worship. Does that involve singing? Absolutely. But worship is so much more than just singing. I want us to be a worshipping church. I dream of us being a worshipping church. We worship when we sit and listen to the word. We worship when we pray.
pray. We worship when we are singing. We worship when we are making good coffee. We worship when we are at work and doing God's will and like actually making a difference in the world. We worship wherever we are and we're actually participating in what God is doing. Because by doing that, we're actually glorifying God. And then the proclamation of the gospel, it's, we are called to preach. We are called to actually declare what, who God is. We do that by being members of his body. Jesus came to put in human form what God was like so that we could see, so that we could understand who God is, what he is like. And we are members of his body now. We're called to do the same work. That actually as we embody it, people can see what it's like to be a Christian. People can see what God is like by the way that we treat them, by the fact that in South Africa at the moment, we can have hope and have faith for the future and have a belief that people can be transformed and people can be set free and lives can be changed and our country can be transformed. We're going to make disciples. We're going to, we're going to care for each other. We're going to actually love each other, get involved in each other's lives. We're going to raise people up. One of the ways we think of that is like mentorship. Like that's one way of kind of understanding a disciple, because a disciple was somebody who was intent on following somebody else. Generally, in the Bible, like you, you've got the disciples that would follow Jesus, because at the time, the, it was a respected thing of having like a Pharisee, and it was this incredibly incredible thing that you would follow them, and they, they would call you to follow them. But the amazing thing with Jesus was that he chose like nobodies, and then they would choose. They actually came and followed him. To try and become like him. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. Not of Andrew or of Quibus, of Tristan, of Patrick, of Stephen. But disciples of Christ. Is it going to be shaped by our influence? Absolutely. But as we follow Jesus, as we learn to become more like him, we start influencing those that are coming alongside us and we get to train them and help them and shape like the way that they are becoming more and more like Jesus. We go back to like crossing the Jordan and you had the ark and the ark would go ahead and inside the ark was the tablets that had the Ten Commandments. You had Aaron's like staff that, if you want to read the story, there was a, it was a time where they were debating who their leader should be. And one of the, the tribes was super upset that Aaron was chosen. He's like, oh, why do you have the right to be the leader over us? And part of like, I mean, it's quite a bit of a tragic story and like terrifying story. But the testimony of that of God choosing Aaron, one of the things that they did was they took the, all the tribes and they said, okay, put your staffs together and write your name on them. And overnight, this like walking stick actually blossomed and there were flowers and fruit on it. There was almond like almond blossoms or almond like fruit. And the amazing thing is that that almond like tree was the first fruits, was regarded as being the first like part of the, the produce for the year it was the first one that would blossom so it was a sign like the staff being put in the ark was a picture of leadership but it was also a picture of the first fruits 
And then there was the manna inside the ark as well. There was a picture of God's provision. And all of it was a reminder of God's journey with like the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land and reminding them of, I've given you my instructions. I've given you my way that leads to life. I've given you the law. And then I've given you leadership that's actually going to show you how to get there. I've given you the first fruits of what this is going to be. And just so you know, that, that's not me. Then there's the manna. And there's the incredible provision. In the midst of the desert, God was providing food for them. And in the midst of a drought, in the midst of an economic like turmoil around the world, God can provide for you miraculously. And He can give you business ideas, and He can give you strategy, and He can give you miraculous provision. And He can do that for us as a church, and He can do that as individuals. And the whole thing, the ark, eventually became a part of a symbol of mercy. Because it had the mercy seat over the top of it, and it would actually form part of a sacrificial system. That it's like, so the ark is this incredible picture of why they would witness what God had done for them. So he says, stand back and watch as the ark goes ahead. Because the ark was literally a picture of the original ark of actually divine salvation. It was a picture of leadership. It was a picture of provision. It was a picture of God's instruction. It was a picture of God's leading. It was the picture of actually that was where the ark went. The presence of God went. Remember when they they followed God through the wilderness. They were following the cloud by day and the fire by night. Now they followed the ark. And the ark and all of this represents Jesus. It doesn't represent Jesus. Church leadership. Church leadership is just like an intermediary there. So you don't follow me, we follow Jesus. So I said, like, we, we stand back. We don't stand back so that you watch Andrew going in ahead. We don't stand back so we can watch Tristan preaching. We stand back together, corporately, so we can see Jesus. So that we can be Jesus. So we can learn to represent God as a church. So, how do we implement this? It's like if we call to be fishers of men, I just want to maybe challenge you. Like, God, what is the, the water that I've been swimming in that has influenced me, that has shaped me, that has changed me? It's like more than what I would like to admit. You hear it in church a lot, but it's like you guys are here for what, one hour, maybe two. If you stay for lunch, maybe three or four, like Tristan, maybe 12. Um, (laughs) But that's one day a week. That's not going to change your life. So we have to find other ways of implementing this. But as a church, we're not going to, I'm not going to give you the detailed plan of how to work it out because it has to be perfectly written for you and worked out in your reality and your life. But if I can help, I'd love to. But maybe you need to find somebody that's closer to you that has, I don't know, that understands your stage of life, that mom's chatting to other moms of like, how do you actually connect with God? How do you get inputs? 
I, I was trying to figure this out and it's like, ah, oh, this discipleship thing, like, God, how do I, how do I train people's lives? And I go through like the life coaching thing and I realize like, man, this has to affect everything because it has to, in, in, like, has to involve your environment at home. How do you change that? How do you structure it? It has to involve your career. What are you called to? What is your purpose in life? It has to involve all of your relationships. So your families, your friends, who are you spending time with? Who are you not? Is that good for you? How's your marriage? What is it like? How do we fix it? It has to involve like just the fun that you're having. It has to involve your physical health. Like how much are you exercising? What are you eating? What are you not? And how do we do all of this? What is your personal growth like? How are you studying? Are you getting inputs? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you saturating your mind with? What? All of this is involved. But I'm not a life coach. And I don't want to be a life coach. But what I realized was, is we've outsourced so much of the things that should happen through church. Church is supposed to be the community where you find advice, where you find guidance, where you look up to those that are ahead of you. We don't need to go to psychologists. Psychologists can be good. But I think we like going to psychologists because it's a little bit easier because I pay them and then I leave. And they're not allowed to tell anybody what I've done. They, it's, like, it's, it's almost like a safe environment where I can tell you as much as what I like and that's it. You're not going to be my friends. You're not going to know all the worst parts about me because I'm going to keep that to myself until I fix that. And it's like the, it's the lie from the enemy to hide the broken areas of your life. I, was, I don't know if you guys have heard that saying, like hurt people hurt people. Or hurting people hurt people. I was struck by a similar statement where it's like, actually, broken people rescue broken people. And I think that's a far more accurate way of looking at life. It's like, actually, when we realize our brokenness and we admit to it, we can find healing in the gospel. And the more we find that healing, the more we can actually recognize the brokenness that's around us. And we can actually come and step in and bring healing. Because we are ministers of reconciliation and healing. And we take that like impulse from God. God's desire is that you would find salvation. That's rescuing from everything that's holding you back. It's past present and future salvation that he has saved you he is saving you and he will save you and he will transform you he's another desire that it talks about in the bible is actually repentance that god desperately wants you to come to repentance to change your mind and have your mind transformed so that you will live differently not because you're following all the rules but because you have been transformed from the inside out and then bring that to share with us so from a practical level, what does it look like? I don't know. For each and every one of you, it's going to be different. For some of you, it means joining Kamo's coffee team. Because we need coffee? No. But because you get to come and serve our community by making coffee. And you come a bit early and you stay a bit late. Some of you, it means joining like an AV team that doesn't exist at the moment, but will one day. And But ask God, what are the gifts that you've got? And so 
one of the things is asking God, where have you been influenced by the water around you? Where have you got an invisible wall that's holding you back and causing you to hold back, causing you to withdraw, causing you to be... Uh, I'll, I'll test the water, like I'll put one toe in. I don't think that's going to transform you. So the invitation is to actually come and invest all of your life and be transformed so that together we can actually change this city. We're going to have communion now because in all of my like planning of like this life coaching and this is how we're going to do discipleship, I partly got excited. I'm like, oh man, this will work and I can ask these questions and and then I realized, you know what, this is a whole lot of work. But actually, it's not what's going to bring lasting transformation. Because only what Christ does in you and through you and for you will lead to lasting transformation. So that's why I say, like, actually, as much as I want to invite you to come and like, get involved, I want to say, like, actually, let's step back and let God... Almost like show us that what he is going to do through Christ, what he has done and what he's going to do in us is he's going to actually let the ark go ahead of us and he's going to back up the water all the way to Adam. If you read John 3 or Joshua 3, the water backs up all the way to Adam. So it's like it's actually saying that all of the sin, everything that has affected us, everything that has influenced your life can be dealt with. God can deal with it all so that we can walk across on dry ground into the promised land. That's my vision for us as a church. So Jesus, we want to keep our eyes on you. I pray now that you would show us individually as a church where we're trying to implement the ways of Egypt, where we're holding on to, to previous ways, where we're holding on to previous hurts, where we're holding on to unforgiveness, where we're holding on to the ways that people hurt us. And actually see that we have been forgiven so much that we can actually let those go. I pray that you would give us a renewed hope and vision and faith for what you can do in and through our church and in and through the churches of the city, in and through your body, Lord. Thank you that we do communion because we, we want to focus on you, Lord. We want to be reminded that it is you that has, has transformed everything. You have come and shown us who God is like, what the Father is like. Help us to do the same. Help us to embody, just in our own unique way, a Christ-like character. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations.
what I've realized is for all of this transformation to happen and for this change to happen is we need to know who God is and what he is like. And what we do know is that he is a loving, kind, gracious father that looks after us and cares for us. And until you know God like that, like don't even try and strive and work and, because that's going to break us. But when we know God like that, then we start to embody him like Christ did. Then whatever we put in place as a church to do practically operates from the overflow of who we are. And it won't become a burden and it won't become a drain and it won't lead to that hurt and brokenness that could be caused in church. So Lord, help us to know you like that. Father, I pray that you just give us a certainty of who you are. And for those that are questioning that, that don't know God like that, that don't know church like that, I pray that you would help them to take one step towards you, one step closer to relationship in church. I pray that you'd give them the courage and the confidence to reach out and open up an area of their life that they haven't before, that they would be vulnerable, Lord, because in that vulnerability, it actually exposes it and allows for healing and allows for transformation. I pray that you continue to lead us and guide us this year. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you.